phase of the children's ministry. Um, so we started, it's called The Bridge, and it's like basically like 10 to 12-year-olds kind of transitioning from, um, from like children's ministry to like the you know, junior high ministry and stuff. And so you may notice that some of the, the younger boys are sitting in here sometimes. And um, pray for Jessica Z, who is running that. She presently has six 10 to 12-year-old boys in her class right now. And I can personally attest to at least two of them are kind of wild sometimes. So, uh, no, no, there's more than two. I'm just, uh, I'm looking at a couple of you guys also. <laughs> um, great opportunity for ministry. I guess these young boys are just, um, they're just at that age where they're ready to, ready to start grabbing hold of their faith. So just keep, keep that ministry in prayer. Second, the um, week of the 18th is the official. I know things have been kind of in flux a little bit as we've been trying to get our, our leaders and places lined up for home fellowship. The official start will be the week of the 18th. If you're not lined up for a home fellowship, please connect with Jen. And if you are either hosting or leading a home fellowship, um, you'll be getting emails shortly. I'm hoping to be able to meet collectively with all of the um, all of the leaders and um, hosts just to kind of talk about you know, what it's going to look like and, and that kind of stuff. So um, be expecting that. And I think that that is all as far as announcements go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, again, we're so thankful that we can gather today and that we can worship you. <coughs> Lord, we're just grateful that we can... Um, Enter into your presence. And we pray that you would speak to us today through the power of your word. We ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Man, it seems like with this respiratory thing I've been having, by the time I get to second service, I'm just like coughing the whole time. So um, I apologize for that. As you may know, Denise and I closed on a house last week, which we are... Well, Thank you. Super excited about a <coughs> total, total God thing. You know, the Lord hooked us up. We got an amazing deal on a house, um, and it needs a lot of work. And so, so we've been hauling away a lot of trash and, and refuse. And um, so far, we've hauled away like 100 yards of garbage. And so that is, for the uninitiated, that's like two and a half of those huge, like, construction site dumpsters. And um, a bunch of guys came over yesterday and helped, helped clear it out. And um, a little barbecue, a good time of fellowship. But as we were, and thank you guys for that, by the way. <coughs> as we were doing that, I found this little picture. And um, in this picture, it was a couple. And the couple looked like they were, I don't know, they're an older couple. And the picture looks like it was probably taken in the... You know, judging by their attire and stuff, probably taken in the 40s. So it's an older picture of an older couple. And I was, I was looking at the picture, I was thinking about the people in the picture, and kind of wondering, you know, what, what their story is. You know, what's their history? What's their connection to the, you know, the house that we bought? And um, I was thinking about how probably... There are not more than a couple people alive today who could tell you anything about their lives and who they were. And probably in the next generation, there will be no one left. 
who can identify them or knows who they are. And that's kind of how it is, isn't it, in life? Within a couple generations, most of us are largely forgotten. You know, and maybe if you are Clark Gable, you know, you might be, you know, we kind of still remember who he is, old movie stars or, <clears throat> or Babe Ruth or, you know, Joe Frazier, you know, some of the old, old sports stars we still remember, but mostly even athletes are gone now. You know, you might maintain your fame a little longer if you're a famous or infamous political leader. You know, or maybe you're a war hero or a general or a king or a president. Or maybe you're a um, scientist. You know, we remember Newton, you know, and Einstein. If you make some major contribution to our culture and society, you may be remembered for hundreds or even thousands of years. But for the most part, most of us aren't going to be remembered for very long. And as I was thinking about that, I was reminded that, that the only things that are going to last, the only things that matter are the things that we do for the kingdom. Right? The only thing that's going to last into eternity are the things that we do for the kingdom of God. All the things in life that we, that we struggle over, that we strive for, as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, Vanity, vanity. All is vanity. He says life is it's like a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. <coughs> and as we, as we move into Acts chapter 8 this morning, as we finish up Acts chapter 8 this morning, remember we left Philip ministering in Samaria. And things were going great. Right? Things were happening. There was a great spiritual awakening that took place in Samaria. You know, the, the remember, remember Philip, he shares the gospel, people get saved, word gets back to Jerusalem, the apostles send Peter and John, they come down and investigate, Peter prays, remember the, the whole, there's manifestations of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's poured out on this new segment of the church, right, this is the place to be, this is where God is moving. And we're going to see that Philip, at this point, he gets a call from God that doesn't seem to make sense on the surface. But Philip recognizes that he needs to be where the Lord wants him to be. And Philip, like we talk about so often, begins to develop this eternal perspective. right? And Philip... He could have done what he wanted to do. He could have continued in that ministry in Samaria. You know, he could have worked on building up his little ministry and his little kingdom. And if he had, we'd probably know nothing of him, right? He would have been forgotten by everyone. But he chose to obey. He chose to walk with the Lord. And his example in that is still reflecting through eternity. It says in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Arise and go towards the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. 
Now, anytime an angel of the Lord shows up, things are going to start happening, right? Things are going well. Philip's founded this ministry. He started a church in an unreached people group. And, I mean, things are great. You know, people are getting saved, and, and he's probably thinking, I'm going to plant some more churches, I'm going to disciple these people. And then an angel shows up and says, hey, Philip, listen, I know you're kind of going here, but it's time to pack your bags. We're going to go on a road trip, Philip. We're headed out. And so he says, I want you to go down to the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's a desert place. Now, just to kind of, just a point of reference, this specific road that Philip was told to walk down, it wasn't the main highway, right? It wasn't the I-5 through Israel. It was a very remote, not widely traveled road. You know, imagine that you are going to Spokane, right? And if you want to go to Spokane, you can, you can hop on I-5, Take I-90 straight across. Very straight shot. Or you could go up through concrete and through Marble Mount, over across 20, up through Chelan, back down through Wenatchee, go up through Okanagan, and you could still end up in the same place, but it's a long, windy road, right? Not very direct at all. Right? And if you take that route, it would get you where you're going, but it's not the easy way. It's not the quick way. It's not the, the smoothest, straightest roads. And taking that route geographically, it doesn't make very much sense. And, and that's the first point that I want to make. The first thing I want to note in the text here. The Lord's paths, the directions that we receive from the Lord, they don't always make a lot of sense initially, do they? Sometimes the Lord will speak to you, the Holy Spirit will show you what he has for you, and think, why would I do that? It doesn't make any sense. The Lord's paths initially aren't always logical. They're not the easiest road to walk down. But as we're going to see, the Lord always has a plan. Verse 27. And he rose and went. And there was in Ethiopia a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasures. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. So Philip, he hears the word of the Lord, and it says that he arose and went. He obeyed. And there were lots of reasons for him not to go. You know, he could have said, you know, I'm just not the right guy for this job. Lord, you need to find somebody else to walk down that road. He could have said, okay, Lord, maybe I am the right guy for this job, but not yet. You know, things are happening. I'm not ready to go. My, my affairs aren't in order here, Lord. I'm being used here. I don't want to go right now. And he could have said, you know, I'm the guy. And I'll go now, but not there. Not to that desert place. <clears throat> not out in the middle of nowhere. Remember Jonah. The Lord says, 
all right, Jonah, I got, a, I got a mission for you. I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, all right, I'll go. But I'm not going there. Remember, he gets on that ship and he heads the exact opposite direction, doesn't he? He runs away. Philip could have done any of those things, and he didn't. He says, okay, Lord, you want me to leave this? You want me to leave all this? You want me to leave this ministry that I've started? You know best. Your timing is best. Your, your directions and your destinations are best. And he packs his bags and he starts walking. And as he's walking, he encounters this, this Ethiopian eunuch. And we see here in the verse that, that he was an important man. There's a lot of details in that verse there. It says that he was in charge of the queen's treasures, right? He's the, he's, the, he's the CFO of Ethiopia at this point, right? He's a, a powerful man. <coughs> and most likely this man wasn't in a very good mood at this point. He had gone up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. And he's on his way home now. But he most likely would not have found what he was looking for in Jerusalem. It would not have been a good trip. He wouldn't have been well-received in Jerusalem. First, of course, he was a Gentile, and Gentiles weren't highly regarded anyway. Second, it says that he was a eunuch. And as you know, a eunuch is a man who's, who's been castrated. And in those days, if you were a person of, of means and you had a wife or a harem that you wanted to protect, you would hire a eunuch because, you know, there's gonna, not going to be any funny business taking place, right? And so this, this Candace, Candace was actually not her name. Candace was a title, like, like the Pharaoh or like the Caesar, right? She was the Candace. That was the name of the, <coughs> of the queen of Ethiopia. And so he was in charge kind of of her and taking care of, of her assets. And so this word eunuch, it, it, the English word, it comes from two Greek words. The word euni, which means bed, and ekhine, which means to keep. So a eunuch, it meant to be a bedkeeper, right? Someone who was kind of that barrier to protect, you know, the... The, the, the sultan or the king or whoever's, whoever's harem and wife. And, and, and this is a speculation on my part, I guess. But I think most eunuchs who found themselves in this position, it wasn't voluntary. Right? It wasn't something that people signed up for. You know, it wasn't, it was mostly, you know, slaves or it was people who were captured in combat or or the children of people who were captured in combat became eunuchs. Most likely, this guy here, you know, it wasn't that he was looking for a new job. You know, he, he's Googling jobs, and he comes across the job search, and, and he finds an advertisement for, a, for Ethiopia that they're looking for a new CFO. You know, and requirements are good managerial skills and seven years' experience, and you need to be proficient in QuickBooks. And you have to be willing to become a eunuch. I said, wow, the benefits are good, but 
Right? That's probably not what went on there. This was something that was forced upon young men. And in Judaism, if you were a eunuch, you were an outcast. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, and I kind of like how the King James translates it. It says, he that is wounded in the stones. Go ahead, get it all out. Everybody who has little boys, you can laugh. He was that who he that is wounded in the stones, or hath his privy member cut off, shall not enter into the kingdom of the Lord. The ESV says, I can't even talk now after saying this. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. And so this man, this eunuch, he goes up to Jerusalem looking to find the Lord. And he's chased out of town, probably. And he's scorned. He's rejected. And sort of a side note. Remember in Matthew chapter 19, the Pharisees come and they, and they present that whole situation to Jesus. You know, what if, what if this guy has a wife and, and he dies and she marries his brother and he dies and she marries his brother and she marries his, you know, and on and on and on. Whose wife is she going to be in heaven? Remember, and Jesus is talking about divorce and all that stuff. But he says that, he says that you know, there's a place at the end of that whole discussion. He says that there's a place for the eunuchs in the kingdom of heaven. Whether they're eunuchs by choice or by force or whatever, he says that those who were previously cut off from the assembly, those who were cut off from the people of God, there's a place for them in the kingdom of heaven. And I love that, that Jesus is receiving into the family of God those that were formerly rejected under the law. Those that were ostracized. Those that were, have been cut off from society. There's a place for those people. There's a place for us in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 28. It says, And he was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So the eunuch is sitting in his chariot reading a scroll of the prophet, it says. And again, there's a little something that we probably miss here as we're just scrolling through this text. If you brought your Bible this morning, or you have a device with your Bible on it, hold it up a little bit. Right? Everybody here who doesn't have one, you know, there's a stack of Bibles right there. And they cost like three bucks. And we're happy to give them away. How many of you guys have multiple Bibles in your home? Right? Many translations of the Bible on your phone. We have so much access to the Bible. In those days, that wasn't the case. I mean, the Gutenberg hadn't. He was a couple thousand years out. There was no printing press. Uh, even if there was a printing press, right, paper wasn't easily accessible. And so there weren't really books. There were mostly scrolls. And these scrolls were made out of the skins of animals or the skins of, of, of papyrus. Not the skins. They were made out of papyrus, a plant. And, and, and it was very expensive to have this material made. 
And if you were wealthy enough to afford that material, you still had to pay a, a professional scribe to write your book out for you by hand. And so books were, were very expensive. People didn't just own books. You didn't just have copies of the scriptures laying around. And so the fact that this guy not only owned a scroll, but he was taking it on a road trip with him, right, that it wasn't at home protected. He's traveled some 1,500 miles from, from modern-day Sudan, that portion of Ethiopia, up to Israel and back, right? He's, taking, he's on a long trip, and he's got this scroll. The fact that he has it with him, that speaks of his, of his great wealth. Right, that he wasn't afraid to lose that. In verse 29, it says that the Spirit told Philip to walk over and to talk with him, to go join his chariot. Now, we see in a few verses that he wasn't parked. He wasn't just sitting there in his chariot. His chariot is moving. So the picture is this. Philip kind of jogs up alongside the chariot, kind of keeping pace with the chariot, chatting with this guy. But this is kind of awkward, isn't it? This is the kind of thing, if it was in a movie or something, it, you'd kind of be embarrassed for Philip watching as he's kind of jogging along beside the chariot, chatting with him. You know, how you doing? Nice weather, isn't it? There are times when the Holy Spirit will direct us to do awkward things, things that are uncomfortable, things that require us to step outside of our comfort zone. And when that happens, we have a choice to make. We can play it safe, you know, not put ourselves out there, not take any risks, and you can do that but you'll never be used by the Lord. Or we can obey, even when it's kind of weird. And we'll see the Lord work through us. We'll see the Lord use us to minister to other people. And maybe you've experienced this kind of thing. Maybe you've been in a situation where, where you see somebody and something just kind of seems off a little bit. And the Spirit is directing you to go, go talk to that person. Yet, well, I don't even know them. What are they going to think of me? They're going to think you're some kind of a weirdo. Right? But maybe, maybe you get past yourself and, and you go talk to that person. And, 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 and as they begin to share and their lives are just falling apart. And you share the gospel and they just they receive it with great joy. And they want to hear it, and they're just like begging to get saved. Sometimes, church, we have to be willing to, to take some risks. Sometimes we have to be willing to, to jog up alongside the chariot and look silly to be used by God. So Philip ran to him, verse 30, and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? Philip ran to him. Sometimes there needs to be a sense of urgency in regards to sharing the gospel. 
know, a lot of times, especially in our culture today, we feel like, you know, I need to establish a relationship first before I can share the gospel. I need to build trust before I can share the gospel. We need to do this and this and this, and we need to, to earn the right to share our faith with people. You know, and 13 years later, you feel like, okay, now I can tell them that I go to church. Sometimes we just need to run. Sometimes we need to boldly proclaim the gospel message without beating around the bush. Sometimes we need to say, look, you're a sinner. You need Jesus. You need to be saved. You need to be born again. You need to repent. Are you in or out? Yes or no? And that's not always the right tactic, but sometimes it is. So Philip here, we see him out trotting alongside the chariot, and he hears the eunuch reading the prophet Isaiah, and he asks him, what do, you, do you understand what you're reading? Do, do, do you get the things that you're taking in here? And, and, and this man here, think about the eunuch for a second. We know that he is acquainted with the Lord to some degree. He goes up to Jerusalem seeking God to worship. Finds out that he's cut off according to Judaism. We know that he's rich, that he's powerful, he's a foreigner. We know that he's well educated because this version of Isaiah that he's reading here, we're going to see in a few, uh, a few verses, he's reading from the Septuagint which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So he was educated enough that he, that he spoke multiple languages. Right? And so Philip, he really, as he, as he starts to share with this guy, it's, he's called to step out of his comfort zone here. Right? With a big, powerful, important person. He's, he's ministering outside of his circle. Right? And, uh, and, and he says, hey, I hear you're reading one of our guys. Do you understand what you're reading? And verse 31, the eunuch says, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. So this guy is sitting in his chariot. And to be clear, chariots weren't, they weren't something that the common man just got to go for rides in all the time. You know, if you wanted to go from Jerusalem to Gaza, you didn't just stand out there and hitchhike, and a guy in a chariot wasn't just going to pick you up and give you a ride. Right? It was, chariots were uncommon, and they were for the wealthy. I remember one time, it was in our first few years in Belize, um, this American couple came, and they visited our church, and we were chatting, and they were telling me that he was the captain of this um, yacht, and his wife, and he was the captain and the mechanic, and his wife was the was the executive officer and the cook. They, they multitask on this ship. But it was a 94-foot yacht, and it had broken down in Belize. So the owner had flown home, and he told them, get the parts and fix it and just drive, I don't know, do you drive a boat, captain it? Sail it, that's what it is. Sail it back to Florida for me. And um, so the parts took a couple weeks. And so they invited our family to come and gave us a tour of this yacht. And he went on this yacht, and it was just, it was amazing. It's like all leather and marble, and it was it was like it was like something out of a out of a movie. And um, it was definitely not something 
that the common man gets to own or, or usually even step foot in. This wasn't the way that Philip was used to traveling in a chariot, right? That's kind of what's going on here. This was his first time. This was a big deal for him. And so Philip's up there. He's sitting in the chariot. And the man says, how can I understand what I'm reading unless somebody explains it to me? Unless somebody guides me? He says, Philip, this is, this is heavy stuff here. I need somebody to... To, to unpack it for me, to, to walk me through this stuff. And this is why he went to Jerusalem in the first place, right? To, to understand the scriptures, to interact with the Lord, to worship, to begin to take in the things of God. And it says in verse 32, Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before it shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. So, most of you guys who have been around church for any amount of time, you recognize this passage, right? It's taken from Isaiah chapter 53. That famous passage of scripture talking about the Messiah and how he came and gave his life and died for us. Do you think that it was by accident that this guy just happened to be reading Isaiah 53? Just happened to be reading by chance about how, how the, the sheep was led to the slaughter, this great messianic prophecy foretelling the the suffering and death of Jesus on the cross, was he there by accident when Philip walked up? Of course not. We serve a sovereign God who works all things together for the good of his people. And it was at that moment when he's reading that, Philip said, or the Lord says, all right, Philip, go. It's time. He's right in that spot. This is when you need to go. And so Philip runs up. And the eunuch says to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. It says that Philip opened his mouth. I don't know about you guys. I spend a lot of time with my mouth open. A lot of foolish stuff comes out of my mouth. How much time do we spend sharing the gospel, proclaiming the good news when we talk? So the eunuch asked, who is the prophet talking about? And Philip opens his mouth. And he says, well, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you all about it. And starting from Isaiah 53, Philip begins to share Jesus with this man. He shares how the Messiah was going to suffer and die on behalf of his people, how he was going to be rejected, how he was going to be scorned. 
I'm going to read a passage from Isaiah 53, the passage that they're discussing here, starting in verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they have made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall, shall bear their iniquities. What a what a place for Peter to start, or Philip to start sharing the gospel, isn't it? What a beautiful description regarding the life and death of Jesus there. Philip talked to him about the character of Jesus, the nature of Jesus' life, the purpose of Jesus' death, how it was to make an offering for guilt, to bear our iniquities. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And some of your translations leave out verse 37 because it's not in some of the uh, ancient manuscripts. But it says this. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ, is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Just as a side note here, I didn't share this first service, but I think this is a um, pretty convincing argument for baptism by submersion rather than the sprinkles. And I don't think it matters either way, really. But I think it's pretty clear in Scripture that when they baptized people, they dunked them. They went down into the water and baptized them. But so they're riding down the road, and Philip is explaining 
what faith in Christ means. He's explaining what it means to be saved, what it means to walk with the Lord, what it means to to be a a disciple. And it says that the man believes. This guy, he was ready. He was like a ripe that was or fruit that was that was ripened to harvest. And, and he says, Look, there's some water right there. Can, can I just get baptized right now, Philip? Is there anything stopping me from being baptized? And Philip said, I'd like to. I'd like to baptize you, but we have a six-week course at our church. As soon as you complete the course, and we've got church membership papers. And as soon as the board approves you and, and you become a church member, then we'll take you down and we'll baptize you. Oh, Philip says, oh, you believe that you're a sinner? You believe that Christ died to save you from your sins? You've repented of your sins and you're calling on the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved? Let's go for a swim. Let's get wet. Let's do it right here. And so they stopped the chariot. And Philip and the eunuch went in and he baptized him right there. Philip, initially, I'm sure he didn't understand why the Lord was directing him to travel down this lonely road to Gaza. He didn't understand why the Lord was calling him away from this happening ministry to go out to this desert place. But when Philip obeys, the Lord moves. And we can even look at it and say, wow, he left this ministry where where lots of people were getting saved just to minister to this one guy. But you know what? It mattered to that one guy, didn't it? It made all the difference to that one guy. And it reminds me of the parable in Matthew chapter 19. Remember, Jesus is talking about a shepherd. He says, the shepherd, he's got a hundred sheep. And one night he realizes that, that only 99 of them are present. One of them is gone. And so he leaves the 99 and he goes out and he looks through the hills and the valleys and walks down the lonely roads until he finds that one sheep. And when he finds that one sheep, there was great rejoicing. As he brought that one sheep home. And, and, and this man, this Ethiopian eunuch, he was that lost sheep. And the Lord sent someone to find him. The Lord sent someone to bring him home. And I'll tell you, I love it that that's the God that we serve. The God that's willing to send people out on the lonely road for for a single soul to bring them home. And when they came up out of the water, verse 39, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now, I don't know if you caught just what, what just happened there in that verse. It's like a transporter, right? He got beamed away. It, it's, it's like Star Trek here, right? And, and I can almost see Philip kind of just dissolving. And think about the scene. He's there. 
He baptizes the guy, brings him up out of the water. The guy is rejoicing. He's excited. And Philip literally disappears. He's just gone. And the eunuch, it doesn't even say he noticed. He just went his way. He's rejoicing. He's happy that he got saved. And Philip finds himself at Azotus. <coughs> Azotus was the ancient Philistine city of Ashdod. You remember, remember Ashdod from, um, from Judges, you know, when, when Samson went there and, and, you know, and, and killed the Philistines. And it's this seaside city. And, and, you know, and I imagine Philip, he must have been shocked, right? One minute he's, he, he's there bringing this guy up out of the water. The next minute he's by the ocean. Some 30 miles away. And I wonder, how did it happen? Was it just like a, a horizontal rapture? Just whoosh. Was it, was, it like, was it like Star Wars where, you know, where the stars are flashing by as he's going? Was it instantaneous? And I wonder what that was like. One minute rejoicing with the Ethiopian by the river. The next minute, 30 miles away. Philip. The servant of God, he may never have owned a chariot, but he got to use God's transporter. It's pretty cool. And here's the point I want to make. And I might be reading into it a little bit, but I'm allowed to sometimes. Most of us, most of us who commit our lives to the Lord and to his service, most of us, particularly who are called into ministry, we're never going to be rich. We're never going to own a yacht. I have a boat. It's a 13-foot metal boat with oars. You know, that's, that's my yacht. Right? We're never going to be featured on the lifestyles of the rich and famous. But we get to experience the things of God. And those things are Far better. I can tell you in my years of ministry, in my years of, of mission work, I've seen God do some crazy things. Not transport people away crazy. That, that's kind of next level. But, but I've seen him do some amazing things. And, and I'll tell you this. As you seek out the Lord's will for your life, you might not get the chariot transporter. You get to experience the power of God in your life. You get to experience God working for you and in you and through you to other people. And I promise you that is worth far more than any worldly treasure will ever be worth. But we need to be willing to step out of our comfort zone. We need to be willing to be put in awkward positions. Right? We need to be willing to, to jog up alongside the chariot. We need to be willing to walk the lonely road sometimes. But as we walk in submission to the Lord, He will use us in ways that we can't even begin to fathom. But it starts with that first step of obedience. Now listen. Just like the Ethiopian just 
happened to be in Isaiah 53 when Philip came trotting along. Maybe you just happened to be here today. Or maybe you just happened to be watching online. And you think it was just an accident or just a coincidence or whatever. It's not an accident. The Lord is speaking to you today. The Lord is revealing himself to you today. And he wants you to know how, how dearly and how desperately he loves you. And he wants you to know that you can be forgiven and that you can be accepted into the family of God if you'll but repent and believe. And if you've never done that, if you've never called on the name of the Lord, if you've never been born again, today's your lucky day. This is your opportunity. Like, like the Ethiopian eunuch, you can choose to believe. You can choose to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. You can choose to cry out to God and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I, I believe that you sent your son to pay the penalty for my sins. And that's really all there is to it. We looked at that verse last week in uh, Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart in the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. The gospel is that simple. And as we're looking at Isaiah 53 this morning, what, what better time to share in communion? You can take your, your packet and start to pre-open it because it takes a couple minutes as I talk. As we, as we take the bread, we remember the body of Christ. We remember what it says in Isaiah, that he was crushed for our iniquities. That he was smitten, that he was afflicted. He says that upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So we remember his body that was broken on our behalf. And we see in scripture that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. That he bled and he died on the cross on my behalf and on your behalf. And as we drink the juice together, we remember that. Remember the blood of Christ that was shed so that we could find life in him. We remember that he bore our iniquities. Drink it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you that you died so that we could find life in you. And Father, we just lift up anyone here today or anyone watching who, who has never given their life to you, Lord, that they would do so today, that they would just plead the blood, that they would cry out to you and be saved, and that you would just bring restoration and wholeness and peace to their lives. We ask that in your name.